One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. To the map of manliness with me, Nick Noyes. Um, we're back again. Uh, I've got a really, really great guest today, Amelia Rope. Um, she is a fellow podcaster, uh, a amazing chocolate maker, chocolatier. Um, and um, what else are you? A business owner. Lots yeah, I think I'm a founder, Nick. Oh, founder, founder. Founder, founder. Word. A founder and a founder. Ah, thank you for that chocolate. I tell you what, um, I normally, if I was thinking, oh, it's going to be posh chocolate, so I don't think I'm going to like it, or it might be a bit strong. Um, and then I had it, and it was a bit strong, a bit strong for my taste, but I got used to it instantly. Uh, and uh, the the lemon is so delicate, and then that after bit of the sea salt, it's the nicest chocolate I've had. Okay, oh, thank you. I was really like, really kind of. I'd never enjoyed chocolate in that way before. It's different. It is different. But I love salt and I love chocolate. And I grew up around Malden, Malden sea salt. So I use Malden sea salt. And because I moved out of chocolate last year before I set up my podcast, I, um, I missed flavours. And so I introduced that, that bar back. And as soon as it was made, Nick, I opened up my whole bar just like that. Because it's, it, for me, it's just eating what I like. But it is unusual. And it's using Colombian chocolate, which is, has a stronger taste to it. Yeah, but, that's um, it. I love chocolate. I have to have chocolate every day. But this week, I'm on a no milk chocolate week. I'm trying to be really strict. I'm allowed dark chocolate, but no milk chocolate. Yeah, my wife eats dark chocolate because it's strong and she won't eat loads of it. So yeah, you eat less. It's more intense. Yeah. So, um, what's your podcast is Hope and Patience, right? And um, so you interview people from businesses yeah, or like kind of, you know, business leaders. Yeah. Um, and I just like the idea, because normally these, like the approach to such a thing is all about doing well and getting on. And even like your, the title is about, uh, it's just a bit more kind of, um, 
it's just more gentle and nice and it just kind of appealed to me and so tell us more about a podcast then so the podcast Hope and Patience, I had a, one grandmother was called Hope and the other one was called Patience. Oh, really? Yeah, and they were really cool women, totally different, but really talented, really skilled and really driven. And um, I also think they're two virtues in life that you need to, I used to say to survive and someone said you should say thrive because it's more positive. But ultimately, you've got to have hope and you've got to have patience because it's very rare that something just happens like that. Yeah time you want it to happen in the way that you want it to happen and also my personality so why my interviewing is slightly softer I suppose soft skills is that um I for me as a founder I like just that gentle well if you talk to in a gentle fashion you tend to relax you tend to open up you tend to share some really interesting stuff so it's not an aggressive style and it's about business so the backstory of the founder, but also what sort of makes them tick, how they make the decisions, how they deal with uncertainty, how they deal with challenges. Because I, I'm fascinated by people's brains. I'm curious about people full stop. My dad was in PR and he's obsessed. I mean, he can tell you about everything from the women in the post office, to the women in Tesco's, you name it. He's got all their life stories. And my mother's like, oh, not again. But, you know, that, so I'm curious about people. And then the well-being side um, is very important to me because I studied complementary therapy. Uh, I've done quite a lot, but I did that in my 30s. And I studied nutrition because I used to be really overweight, herbal medicine and aromatherapy. And I became an aromatherapist. And so the whole balance thing is really important. I forget about it. But why I feel it's really important for founders is that, um, along with mental health, is that there are times where you're so pressurized, and you probably have this, Nick, in your job. You're so pressurized, you're so stretched, you feel as if you're going to pop with, with stress. And so it's really important to know how to address the mental fitness side and the physical side, fitness side. And so we talk about how they look after themselves. And some are really honest, saying, I don't really. And others do. And then we talk about chocolate and we eat chocolate, which is their choice because any excuse to eat chocolate, and I'm there. And then we talk a bit about success, failure, hope, patience, book recommendations, films, songs. Uh, I love it, but I'm really fresh at it. I mean, I'm new to the game, podcasting game. And what I really miss, Nick, is because we don't do Zoom recordings with my producer. We do just a link, email link. And when I started up, we did it in a studio. And I really like seeing the person. It's like seeing yeah. you. And I now know who you are, as I was saying. I've listened to your voice, but I needed to see you. So um, I miss not seeing my guests. And also, it's a bit like you, is that you've got to connect with people really quickly. And you've got to try and make them feel relaxed and chatty and... Uh, and if they're not chatty, you've got to try and extract them. But um, anyway, so that's what I do: hope and patience. And I need a lot of patience because I'm, you know, I'm being challenged. I'm learning, learning, learning so much. It's a good metaphor for life, in there, though. You know, like always have hope, but be patient. Like we don't. Like I just think we don't practice patience. Like that's just not a thing. And it's almost like if we were better at being patient. Um, we'd probably be a lot more content in life, I think. I think you've hit it on the head. We would. Oh. Definitely would. And if with this horrendous situation with the pandemic, maybe that's one thing it's teaching us, patience, patience with our, seeing our family, our friends, our businesses, you know, all that stuff. 
Um, but I don't know who's really good at patience. I, I really don't, I don't, I don't know. It's my middle name too, but I've never had it. But then I had a guy on the show called Angus Thurwell, who's um, founder of Hotel Chocolat. Have you heard of Hotel Chocolat? Yeah. Got shops in the street and online stuff. And he was saying that he thinks that founders don't have patience because they're constantly onto the next thing. And maybe that's what a lot of us are onto is we're hungry to keep moving. Yeah. So therefore we don't just stop. I don't know. So I find um, like you hit on something there. So I, like I like when I'm feeling well is normally those points when I'm hungry to make things happen. Um, and what I and my balance is awful because uh, I'll be hungry for it. So I'll make stuff happen, and then um, if something doesn't work out or if um, I slow down, it's quite easy for me to kind of slip back into being miserable. Uh, but I have that hunger. I love it. You know, it pushes me forward, um, but it can only kind of last for so long. So it does make things happen. Uh, but as you said, you've got to balance it off against something. So you're not just doing it all the time because you do burn out. I burn out. So you burn out, but also it's that frustration. I think sometimes when things don't happen, how you want that can really affect you mentally. It can affect your how what you your energy that you give out in your business and your yeah. life and um it can challenge you and it can sort of you can get consumed by it in a way and you can feel hopeless some days i just say oh my god i can't do social media i can't you know i look at others and they're all rip roaring ahead and you say, i can't do social media i can't do this i can't do that I can't it's such a negative word but it's that whole thing and then you have to work really hard to just convert your brain around thinking you know what i can do it it might take me longer. I might have to change my tack. But you, but there's that that sort of spin around. But it, yeah, I mean, it's it's life is challenging. Full stop. But then that's a whole different bag to be talking about, probably. Oh yeah, but I do like the idea that if, um, you know it doesn't really matter. Everyone you talk to, um, they've had a journey of sorts, uh, and they've learned things from where it's gone wrong. You know and. Yeah, it doesn't take it like everyone has that kind of internal journey, and if if they've become successful, we we kind of assume they don't have that anymore. Like everything's alright, you don't feel bad anymore because you're successful. Which I've learned very much that that's not true. You know, with the people I speak to on the podcast, um, like sometimes I think, oh, they've got it sorted, and then they talk to me, and I realise they're just as much a mess as I am a lot of the time. Um, but. Uh, you know, learning from their lessons in some ways, I think so important. And when you're in your own head, you don't do that. But, um, yeah, I, I just think people don't, they think, oh, I need to speak to uh, someone who's inspirational. But there's people every day who are inspirational. They don't necessarily have done anything amazing to get there. You know, like they've just got a story that's interesting. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I was just going. Also, chat. I mean, on that whole thing of chat, chat is, I think, really powerful. And, um, you know, I live on my own and I work on my own. And, and certainly with the pandemic, it's challenged me because although I'm happy in my own space, it has made me go stir crazy at times. But it's, it's something where the power of chat sort of, it makes you feel better. It can inspire you. It could be something really random that someone says. You could think, oh, you know what? I'm going to change this or I'm going to do that or I'm going to do the, something, something totally different. It's, it's really, I think everybody, I've always believed that everybody has something to give. 
and everybody has the power to achieve something great and the greatness can be in their own level it doesn't have to be that you're really famous it doesn't have to be that you're top of something it's just great for you whatever feels happy in in you basically yeah. so, so, uh, so did you say you lived in Malden in Essex so my parents I'm an Essex girl and yeah I'm in Essex yeah and you know that was really tough Nick I mean you're younger than I am but basically there was a real stigma around the Essex girl and I at one stage I was too scared to say I came from Essex so I'd say my parents came from Suffolk which they did okay and they moved to Essex that's how it sort of scoot around it but actually there's a really good book out called Essex Girls by Sarah Perry who is an Essex girl and anyway it's, it's a good read but um so yeah um a place called Leomani which is very small and uh, quite isolated. There's no real sort of village to it. It's quite yeah, that's good. Yeah, isolated. You know, Lamani. So Malden is. Well, I, I when I go home, I walk a lot in Goldhanger. You know, along the Blackwater, which I love. And Malden's just around the corner. So we grew up on Malden salt. That that is just what, and I love it. And I will yeah, never I ever. So how did you come to leave Malden then? I always had itchy feet, what I describe as itchy feet. I was never happy, never satisfied. And my mother actually did say to me, I don't think you're ever going to be satisfied. It's not shit. But um, it's, so I moved to London when I was about, I don't know, 17, 18, and just rented, you know, loads of flatmates. And at one time I was living with about eight people. There were officially four of us, but everybody seemed to have people staying. So it became eight and it was quite large. But so I've been in London for a lot. And then in pockets, I moved, I was a massage therapist at one stage and I broke both my arms in a bike accident. So my left elbow and my right wrist, that was testing, right. really testing. Jeez. I mean, that tested my mental health a lot because you can't do anything. And I had to ask people to do stuff, which is totally outside my nature. Yeah. And I remember I was in my bedroom and I was just banging my wrist and my both wrists, not good for the broken one, on the wall, just purely out of frustration. And I was trying to set up a massage business. You know, all of a sudden the whole thing was off. I had no secure, no salary coming in. And my parents weren't very supportive. My parents are great people, but they're very, you pick your life, you look after yourself, you know, down on your own two feet. And that's that. And uh, so it, that was really tough. And then, um, so then after that, I went to live in the States, which I really liked, looking after kids less so, but then I traveled. And then another, and then I came back and then another time I went off to live in Kenya. And as soon as I got there, I had food poisoning, was in hospital with a drip. And then I broke my foot. I heard this snap, my foot, left foot went on a, uh, slipped on a rug and it snapped, okay? And I thought, my God, the bed snapped because it sounded like a piece of wood. And then I thought, shit, it's my ankle. Anyway, they stuffed it up. So I came back here, had a screw put in and a bone graft and this, that and the other. And that's all fine. Fell in love with the surgeon. I mean, he obviously doesn't know that, but he was gorgeous. <laughs> and then I went and worked in the health industry and got all into that. And, I, and that fascinated me. Where was and that? In the UK? Health industry? In the UK, in, in London. But it, but it sort of, it fascinated me because... Ultimately, the, the, my upbringing was, was, I was lucky in, in many ways, but then there's always, everybody has a learning curve in their upbringing. And mine was that my father was very traditional and women did not work. They looked after the house, they had kids, they were owned. I mean, he wouldn't call it ownership. I see it as ownership. 
And so therefore the wife would say, please, can I have 10 pounds for the housekeeping? No, you've had plenty this week. Do you sort of I mean it's that sort of thing? And um, gosh, where was I going with this? How's that impact on you then? When did you, re like, that? yeah, that's not, I mean, you know, there's general, like my dad's generation, or maybe a bit better, but uh, I mean, I, I t you know what? I still encounter people who are like that sometimes. Oh, so that's that, but that's, hold on, that's Nick, that's got me back on track, is that basically I would have gone to university, but, but, but my father was someone who you train as a secretary, you meet the stockbroker, you're married at 23, and you have the kids. Now that's fine, that's what he grew up with. Okay? That is quite stifling for someone who, you, I mean, instantly come across as someone who's kind of got zest, you know, like wants to achieve and like you're, you're, you question the world, like going to other countries is about questioning, isn't it? And it's like, and then you've got that in you. And it's like amazing that that came out actually. When well, it is. The opposite. But maybe because, it was... I mean, I felt that my spirit had been squashed in a way. And I come from, a, on his side, ironically, a lot of entrepreneurs, okay, ransom lawnmowers. I don't know, one other one created some amazing plough, another one created the Suffolk horse. You know, so they were, they were creators and movers and shakers. And, but he wasn't. And, and I don't blame him at all. He, what, he is who he is because of where he's come from. But it did limit me. And I wasn't allowed to, to go to a really good school to get my A-levels, which I wanted to do. And he didn't go to university, so I don't think he saw the assets. And, and anyway, the point is that I became a PA and I got so bloody bored of each job. Am I allowed to say that on this show? I swear, yeah. So basically, I came so bloody bored board I moved every single year okay and my CV was pay people was the agency to say your CV's too long I said too bad but ultimately what I learned from this was that bosses didn't appreciate people okay so as soon as I wasn't appreciated I walked if I got bored of what I was doing I walked and so I, I did that a lot in my 20s and my dad was thinking oh shit that's, that's, that's so scary you know like that scares the life out of me. I, I in my life I've had like two jobs. Like I might have moved around within the jobs. Okay. Um, no, three. I've had three jobs. And but I'm is like, that because you knew what you wanted to do? Uh, no, I, I think more often than not, it was uh, that I, I didn't feel like I was worth better, or I was so shit that why would I get anything better anyway? So it's all about me and in my Oh, head. so it's about self-worth and your beliefs. Yeah, but also the general fear that it will fucking, like, I won't have the money and I won't be able to pay rent, etc. It is. It's the fight. I mean, this is a big, I think this is a big thing in mental health, certainly. It's this fear of being broke. And I have been through that with my business and I've had bailiffs at my door and I felt shit scared. I mean, I really did. And not, I, I didn't know what to do, and I felt helpless. And ultimately, your friends can support you up to a certain point. But I remember just lying in the bath thinking, Jesus, take me up there. I mean, not as in I was suicidal, but just as in I can't do it. So just, you know, whatever. But it, but that the, it is the finance. And, and I think especially guys, well, it's women and guys, there is this pressure to be able to achieve. And there is the thing that if you've got a family, You've got to support the kids and the wife and the blah, 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 blah. It's massive. So you, what were your three jobs then? You've told me one before we kicked off. Uh, I was a chef. Um, Who were you? Where? Uh, at, a, 
at Lakeside. Do you know really? Lakeside? Yeah. At the time, uh, I, I went to university for a year and studied fine art. Um, I got <laughs> bored and left. Uh, and then I walked into a band who were doing, starting up and doing pretty well. So I got, I did, my dad was a bit of an arse. So like when I left, my dad seemed to resent me going to university anyway. So I but was it their generation, do you think, Nick? Yeah, yeah. I think there's an element of that. Um, I, but I also think there's an element of my dad's just quite a bitter person. So if I was going to university and, you know, the, the assumption is that you have fun at university, he's not going to yeah. be very happy about that because he's doing a job he hates. So why should I have fun? What was he doing then? Uh, he had a business, um, like, uh, like a vehicle assessing for an insurance company. Um, it was his own business. But my dad's got, you know, he had, you know, no real drive to make it work particularly. Right. Well, that's the way I've kind of read it. I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, so when I, I got home from university, uh, I joined the band and that was amazing. Um, but I had to kind of, then like literally the next day, my dad was like, right, job, go. Don't come yeah. back until you got one. So I just got the first job I, I, I found and I stayed there for six years because I was... Um, Jeffing. Chefing. Yeah, yeah, and chefing's pretty cool. Um, so your wife doesn't cook then? No, she doesn't really cook. No, I, I cook. Um, but it was, yeah, so it meant that like I could get lots of time off to go and do gigs and record and do everything. Um, oh, because you were in a band at the same time? Yeah, so I was taking the band more seriously, so the job didn't really matter that much. It was incredibly stressful, but I... I still have dreams about it now. I still dream I'm in the yeah. kitchen now. All the because time. they treat you really appallingly, don't they? Yeah, but they treat you badly. But you, because um, you're treated badly, you bond, everyone bonds. And then, like, what happens is, you know, like the head chef, I became the head chef in the end. Oh, uh, the wow. Yeah, but uh, I know I used to do it. Like, when service is going mental, it's so stressful and everything's got to be done right on time. And there's so much going on, it's easy to forget things. So you do end up shouting and effing and blinding and saying, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, and I just made a point of going around later on and going, good job, well done, I'm sorry I kind of kicked off. And um, But I think a lot of really great head chefs, they're, um, they'll be horrible to you 90% of the time, but that 10% means the world. Right. You really admire that person. Um, and that's how it's controlled. That's what, but then you still get loads of people walking in and out. Yeah, I did six years as a chef. Uh, it was, but I was very mentally ill as well. Uh, so I was chronic. Um, throughout that whole time, I drank every day to excess. And um, so I was always late. I was always like, was that due to the chefing or was that due to other stuff in your job or that was due to the finance or the oh for me um self-medicating oh, okay uh i drank for 10 years self-medicating um you know but the root of the root of if you don't mind me asking you but the root of of it that you were why you were self-medicating what was that route that that wasn't due to the job that was due to stuff in your childhood that was just yeah um i 
just uh, I had like clinical depression, so um, I was just really incredibly unhappy, and a lot of that was down to the way I viewed myself. Um, you know, like I hated myself, and you know, something good would happen, and I'd just be waiting for the next bad thing to happen, and um. Yeah, and I, I think I bought into the rock and roll thing quite hard. Um, but I drank because, yeah, when I was brought up, I was brought up, like, the, my dad and my my mum's dad, who was around constantly, just made me feel like a piece of shit. So um, that made me just, I grew up like that. So uh, that's how I viewed life. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I used to drink to shut my brain up because my brain would just be like hypercritical and yeah, yeah, I still have it, but I'm much better with it. So coming back to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm enjoying asking you. Okay. No, I don't like, I I tell you what, um, I'm happy to talk about this stuff all the time. Like I, I kind of thought, like I make a point of being honest about it. Uh, and being honest about it is part of my recovery, really. Um, it makes me, I feel better once I've said it and I'm honest and I feel like I'm never hiding anything and I'm being authentic. That's really important to me. Um, now it is. Um, so that's why I was interested in, why do you think you change jobs like every year? Because I because I was bored because I was sorry I've got a very squeaky stool, um, because I was bored because I was underappreciated because probably I was I hate the word on my journey I hate the word journey but I was sort of searching for something that I didn't know what I was searching for but I felt very restless, and I think it was because uh, you know I met my first boyfriend dumped me that threw me off course for years oh because, yeah that's because I said to him is it my looks okay and he said no it's your personality and you know now i realize that's not a big deal but when you're sort of 18 19 you say, oh. and i had issues about my weight i had loads of issues going on and uh sort of that self-loathing sort of on those lines because i was comfort eating and i felt unhappy with who i was but anyway i so i just i don't know i kept on going and and I think ultimately I needed to do my own thing. And as a child, I was probably a pain in the ass of my parents, but I was independent and I wanted to try stuff, okay? But I found that I didn't like being told what to do, full stop, who does? But I, I wanted to find out. So I didn't want you to say, if you get on that ladder like that, you're going to fall off. I'd be, well, I'm going to get on the ladder like that and fall off, okay? So I'd learn the hard way. I sort of picked a harder route. Uh, and then... It, well, my weight took me into health. And so it had a sort of flow, uh, but I can't tell you why, how my, why my life has gone, how it has. It's just, it, now it all sort of makes sense. Yeah, for me, I think, um, like, or, you know, when you t- said, like, the things you've done, like, that, like, that's, for me, I wish I could be more like that. I see that as being really brave and courageous and kind of going and grabbing the world as you want it. Um, but then there's another bit in my head saying, um, is, but that, um, you know, that, that, you know, that really seeking all the time, um, and not feeling satisfied, that's pretty stressful too. 
That is stressful. And in, in a way, you could argue the toss that I was running away from stuff subconsciously. I mean, I, I used to run from relationships. I used to run from intimacy. And then I did massage, a massage course. And I became an aroma therapist. And actually what that taught me was about intimacy and about touch. I'm not talking in a sexual way, really, in this instance as a, as a therapist. But um, it taught me a lot. But, um, yeah, no, I was always on the run. And I, and I think I was, it's like when I had my business in the early days. Well, also, I used to work for workaholics and burn myself out as a result. But actually, it was an excuse not to get intimate. Or intimate, it was an excuse not to commit. I couldn't commit to anything. You'd say, do you want to have a meal tomorrow? I'd go, actually, tomorrow I could do. So I'd say, you'd say, you around next week? I'd go, I don't know. You know, I might be working late because my job was so busy. But ultimately, I was shielding myself, and I was shielding myself eventually from a relationship. Um, And... I, then I broke that pattern. I think life is a series of patterns. So I broke the pattern of working for workaholics because I got burnt out. And then I went on the journey of Master Chef and, and setting up my chocolate business. And, uh, you know, if you'd said to me, did I know that I had what I had in me? I would have said no, but I knew I needed to do something. And uh, whether it was, I, you know, in a way, I would have liked to have had a professional career um potentially as a lawyer i hate the law but as a lawyer or um something like an endocrinologist so the study of sort of hormones and stuff um but so yeah i you know i I don't know i mean my it has been really jam-packed and exhaustingly jam-packed and you know, someone said to me, oh, you're seeking this out subconsciously. I think it's a therapist. I said, I really don't think so. But, you know, I was moving the whole time and I, and I still rent. So every year I'm on the move and it costs me a bomb to move. And each time I move, there's an issue. Like, I mean, this, where I am now is great, but it's freezing. And so usually at night I have a hat, scarf, a rug and a hot water bottle. A breeze coming in. It's going to get sorted. But the point is that I actually had a flat I had a flat, it, it, and you know, then I go off to Kenya, and then I buy another flat, and okay, it was a really edgy area, and there was a murder, and drug dealers right next door, and stuff like that. I rent it out, but I can't afford to rent it live. But again, I sell it. Now, do I reinvest that money? No, I reinvest it in me, and I study and stuff. But So I had it all, and I was someone, and I think this is what did my parents in, was that I had, I gained stuff through hard work. I've never been spoon fed, okay? Through working my ass off, okay? But then in that day, I just used to throw it away. And my biggest regret actually is getting rid of property because for me now, it is going to be really tough. And I'm 50 and I, you know, yes, I've got the podcast, but I need to flip a business in a positive way financially. I have no, no pension. You know, I, I do, I used to worry a lot and now I just think live for the moment, live for the moment which diffuses the panic inside but hitting 50 you're not 50 you're way off 50. yeah okay well it is really rough i didn't realize it until i turned 50 in the summer and i had a whole load my life just came in front of me like a, a you know a film show and the film show on the mental health the inner critic side was all the stuff that i'd done wrong all the opportunities that i'd missed and i just thought i don't really need this and it made me feel really low, especially, and it was also in lockdown and, and Zoom calls weren't really doing it for me at that time. I needed to physically see someone. 
Reflection isn't always that helpful, is it? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it is good to reflect and it's important to reflect on things we've done and learn from them. But sometimes if your inner critic is going, that's all shit, it's quite hard to then move forward. I, I totally, totally understand that. Um, it's funny, a lot of things you were saying, I, uh, as you were saying them, I was thinking, yeah, there's that sense of running away. And then there's, because I do a lot of things that I call self-sabotaging behaviours. Yes, yeah. And then when you were talking, I was thinking, is this a bit of self-sabotaging there? You know, like, I'm doing well, yeah, I'm going to fuck it up now because I don't, for me, I will self-sabotage because I don't, that old brain will go, you're not worth it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I just wondered it, like, if that kind of, if that, so you are right. It, it was self-sabotage in a way. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I said no to every opportunity that actually inside I wanted to say yes to. Yeah. And it used to annoy me. And actually there was a, um, a very important person in my chocolate business, a guy called Pat Reeves, who set up uh, Sofa.com and Deliverance and other stuff. Anyway, he, he was an amazing guy and he looked after the underdog and he sort of scooped me up and saved me from bailiffs and God knows what. Not in giving me money, just he gave me a job and stuff. Anyway, but the point is that he said, I'll invest in your business. You know, I'll, he was a very successful entrepreneur and sadly he passed away. But anyway, he said, I'll back you, blah, blah, blah. And I used to go, no. And he said, come on, I'll set you up with a chocolate thing. I'll get people in, you know, in a small way. He never threw money away. It was always the challenge. And I just said, no. And then he went off and bought a Maserati, and I thought, oh, bloody hell. Yeah, what am I doing? Oh, my God. And he knew that, okay? He knew, because I was sitting there thinking, shit. And all I really wanted to say was, yes, please. And then, you know, a year later, he then put a commission in for a 1,000 chocolate bars to go out with his sofa, and that transformed my business into a chocolate bar business. And that time I said yes. And he knew I'd say yes because it was an order. I think I had this thing that I didn't want to be owned and I didn't want to be controlled by anybody, which potentially goes back to my parents. And um, and so maybe it was that. But I, I no, I, I sabotaged sort of relationships. I sort of blew them up. I mean, I've grown out of that now, but my 20s and 30s was, was definitely... Uh, well, my 20s was bloody good fun. But um, my 30s, yes, I sort of sabotaged in a way. Or I, I subconsciously was with people who encouraged me to self-sabotage. Not them directly saying uh, it. Uh, but uh, you know, it's not that helpful. It was really hard on myself. But, I mean, it goes back, as we were talking about the inner critic, Nick. Mm. Uh, it goes back to that thing where you have a really hard taskmaster. And I am a high achiever. And it's that thing where... I'm never, ever doing well. Do you see what I mean? And, and maybe it goes back to my dad. I also wanted him to say, well done. And he did when it's about 45. But, you know, it's that, it's that thing. And, you, you know, you must have, or not you must, I'm sure you have that, do you? The inner critic, that chatting voice, the negative vibe. Yeah, yeah that's, um, that's my default brain. Uh, that's constant. Um, I have spent a lot of time <laughs> many many hours with therapists etc and I've, i'm still on loads of medication to shut that thing up uh and i've got so so much better at it um but some days like yeah it, i accept that i'm not going to always win 
and I don't. I if, my, the change for me was the decision to stop fighting it and start just kind of like looking at it a little bit and sitting with it a bit more and saying and going, you know, having that conversation with myself, like, well, is that true? You know, like my brain's telling me that, but is it like actually, you know, that's not true? Or I'll ask my wife, I'm like, is that? Is that true? Yeah. And then she'll go, no, that's your brain. Your brain's an arsehole. And it's like, yes. Yeah, it but it's so common to have, and I have it mm. after most interviews on the podcast. I'm like, oh, my God, I just really stuffed that up. And then I listen to it, and I think, actually, you know what? This is okay. But it, it is, in a way, it's exhausting. And, you know, I was interviewed for my podcast for a Christmas special before this show. And I went out for a quick walk afterwards. I was really pissed off myself. I just thought I should have answered it much better. I just thought, you know what? Fuck off. I'm not really interested in what you should or shouldn't have done. You've done it. Move on. Thank God I've got this podcast. I can now move on. But it it is a challenge. I mean, guests on my show, we talk about the critic. And, you know, some of them call it something. I think there's a guy, Mo Gadat, or there's a book anyway, where he talks about it, that you name it, okay? And you say, fine, Rachel. You've said your piece, off you go. I don't know, I think it's... That's what I do now. Uh, Yeah, so um, the idea that your brain is only trying to help you, uh, so it will be your brain primary primary job is to stop you getting killed. Um, And potentially everything around you can kill you. Uh, So it will stop you... You know, like my brain would stop me, you know, when I was younger, I was really nervous around girls. So it would stop me talking to girls because it'd be like, no, you'll just get shot down. (laughs) You know, like that is the kind of basic of it. So the brain does that um, and it's really good at it because you're alive, but it doesn't need to do most of the stuff that it does. So so the idea is, thank you, Rachel. I do, like, I've done this before, mate. Yeah. I'm all right, and I li- like I'm saying like sometimes I say it aloud. Does it work? Do you find it works? Yeah, yeah, it works really well. I have different techniques to distract the brain um, that I learned from like my kind of ongoing therapist Peter. Uh, he's been on this, and he gave me so many just little techniques, one-liners that just take you somewhere else for a moment, and then then your brain's almost. Distraction is, is, is massive. I mean, it is that thing of, and it can be anything in life, is that if you distract yourself and, and you think about it with little children, is that when they're all upset, you then distract them with something else and they're off on pushing their tractor or whatever it is. So it, I think it is distraction. And our brain is such, I mean, I thought it was a muscle, but then a mate mine said it's not a muscle, it's a whatever. But um, it's so complex that we don't understand it. And, and, it's full of surprises, but um, mine is much kinder to me, but I would like it to say, you know what? You're all right. I feel okay. Yeah, I feel yeah. whole as a person. So thank God I don't question myself anymore. I used to, up until I saw a life coach who got me to believe in myself and stuff. So I actually quite like myself. I mean, I'm annoying at times, as everybody is. So yeah. I don't have that I'm issue. Same way I talk about myself, really. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm, yeah, I'm fucking annoying. <laughs> But, but, you know, it makes it makes a big difference, I think, once you work through your life and you start thinking, I'm doing my best, I'm actually not that bad. And if someone else, there's always going to be someone better than me. There's always going to be someone richer than me. There's always going to be someone at the top of the tree. But actually, where I'm at, 
is a pretty good place. And just, to, I think it's that thing of taking it in bite-sized chunks and it's that thing of like me panicking about what I'm going to do when I'm 80. Well, just don't, don't worry about it. I mean, I've got to have it in the back, back of my mind, obviously. But, you know, try not to worry about it and just reach your goals and live, live life to the full, you know? Appreciate it. The mindful, well, the Buddhist way is to be, um, yeah, be present. Be present and detached from stuff. You know, there's so much attachment to clobber. And at one time, for the sake of my business, I moved 15 times in 15 months. I lost a lot of stuff. I mean, some of it's... I have to have everything. I, I like generally live a pretty simple life because... I can't deal with, like, I could not deal with that stress. Like, I did it on my own. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And I'd be house-sitting, and then I'd be back to my poor brother, my lovely brother, who is really incredible. And That's I'd say, so I can stay with you again. And he'd say, yeah, okay. But, you know, I literally moved that whole time, and I, I was done in by it, and I was trying to keep the business going. And I lost a lot of stuff. And, and basically, it'd be when I, I moved all on my own, as I was saying, and I'd leave a car door open. And then you get to wherever you're moving to, you think, bloody hell, I had two handbags on the top of that bin bag. They've gone. Or I've had sunglasses and they've gone. But um, what it, the point of this is, it teaches you to travel light. So now I've got my moving down to a pretty swift thing. I do it myself. And... Um, you just don't, it saves on dusting. I know you can see the odd knickknack, okay, behind. But I don't, if I'm given knickknacks for a present, I'm like, oh, shit. Because that's more dusting. That's more packing and whatever else. Um, but some stuff, like my books, travel with me all over the place. But, yeah, so detachment is, it's like in any relationship, we should be able to survive without that other person. We should be able to survive without, I don't know, your cup of tea, your cup of coffee, whatever it is. So, yeah, it is. And it's, as you say, living in the present that we forget to do. Oh, it's really hard to do. But I, I found the more I try, the better I get at it. And like I used to, like uh, our friend in common, Stuart, used to always think it was so amusing that um, I always had to have a TV on. Um, well, that would have driven me nuts. What was that on to distract you? I still always have a TV on. Uh, wow. I I was brought up in front of a TV. Um, my uh, my dad's never really never been interested in me. So TV on, go in there, and shut up. Um, yeah, that's been my dad. I mean, he watched a hell of a lot of TV. Yeah, I still I, I watch TV. All day. I like I, I like. Um, uh, the secrets out. Nick watches telly all day. Is what he's about to say. <laughs> no, I can and I do. Uh, I I I think it's a nervous thing. Um, yeah, so my mum was a compulsive cleaner, so they, it would be, I'd be in front of the telly a lot, most of the time. Uh, and I used to, like, make artwork since, since like, that's my earliest memories, in front of the TV, drawing something. And I, and I still will spend, like, when we finish talking, that's that's my night, in front of the TV, drawing. Um, but, What's uh, you drawing, then? Eh? What are you drawing? I draw um, dark stuff, <laughs> mostly. Um, I do it under the, the name of Loveless. Uh, have a look on Instagram, because uh, it's all really dark stuff. Uh, and it's a bit of a... Um, it's Again, it's a distraction in many ways. It, 
it might when you draw or you create something yeah and you forget everything don't you it's very present creating so uh sometimes i'll paint a massive painting and i'll be lost in it for hours and all the time i'm doing that i'm not my brain's not thinking you know i'm, I'm just doing that and it's a release so that's what i do all the time and um, and then i think the tv's I think that's the same again. If the TV's not on, um, I can hear my thoughts. I don't want to hear them. I uh, want something okay. else going on at all times. I don't like it when it's quiet. I have tinnitus too from doing too much rock and roll. Uh, and if the TV's on, it it kind of quietens it as well. So, it's, uh, yeah, more and more things happen, the more I need all these little things, the weird things that I've picked up along my life. You know, that you do, you just, you pick them up. I'm autistic when it comes to noise. So when I was living with my brothers, he'd have the TV on really loud and that would do me in. I like, I like, I'm quite, I'm, I like peace and quiet and I get, I'm very sensitive to people's voices. So, um, and I am, yeah, the telly on. Well, I will tonight, I'll be on, the, what is it? This is us. Oh, is that the one, the American one with Mandy Moore? Yeah, on Prime, and it, you know, I need. I've watched. I've watched. It's good, but the point is that you cry each time. So I've decided it's not a good way to watch before I go to bed because if I watch that or the news, I mean, I've given up on the news. I don't want to know. I don't want to know who I can see. I've never watched news. It's just it's pointless, and they do my head in. Um, so that's good, and so yeah, I probably would be doing that, and I'll have a glass of wine, and I have something to eat. And I might read. Sometimes I read. I, I, for for my podcast, I have to. I suggest a book each time, so I have to keep reading. And it's just like, geez, I've got yeah. more books to read. I, I read a lot, and I get. Um, so I'll read for an hour to two hours a night, and um, that comes from when I was until I was about well until I was about thirty. Even I used to never get to sleep till like four o'clock in the morning. That's another wow. reason why I used to drink and do loads of drugs. To oh, to make you go to sleep. Down. Magnesium, that's the best. Oh, really? No, I was never mentioned that. Magnesium is superb. I take it in the morning and the night. Someone told me about it and I've had it for, I don't know, two or three years. I don't really need it. I sleep now. I've got myself in the habit. I sleep like that. I mean, I just go yeah. all the way through. See, and I never used to. Reading was part of the habit of getting better. So I didn't really, I don't think I even barely read a book until I was like in my mid to late 20s. And then I discovered like Catcher in the Rhine, Jack Kerouac and Hunter Thompson. And then I was like, wow, these guys are more rock and roll than rock and roll. And um, anyway, it just got me into reading. So that is part of the process of me winding down to go to bed. Because again, like reading more so than TV, it requires concentration. It does, times? it requires real focus. Yeah, if you drift off, you're like, oh, you have to go back and read it. And I'm always like, well, no, I don't want to miss anything. So it helps me wind my head into bed. The other thing I wanted to pick up on, um, you know how you were, you were saying, like, you kind of hit 50 and that made you think about the things that you hadn't achieved. Like, I found getting older, um, really helped me because you, I feel less self-conscious generally. Um, and then I, because I could like look around and go, well, I fit, 
this was a weird one actually, right? I, I, I hit all my milestones at 30. I'd got gone back to work, got a degree, um, I got married and I had kids and bought a house. Right? My dad would love you because you've ticked every single ticked box. All the boxes, perfect. Uh, three bed semi, couldn't believe yeah, got perfect. it. Amazing yeah. wife. Yeah. Um, other things have happened since, well, not with my wife, but, you know, yeah. we've had, you know, traumas. But yeah. um, I, so the, I had this little period there when I was like 30 and a little bit over that when I was like, yeah, yeah I've done everything I need to do. I can sit back now. Um, and then my brain went into overdrive going, so why are you still not happy? Uh, okay. Yeah, you've got all these things. Why are you still not happy then? Because there's something wrong with you, you know. And then I, um, yeah, then I had a subsequent proper breakdown when it was like, you know, lots of time off of work, can't do anything. But it, and I just think it goes both ways, doesn't it? Your brain can be such an art, and it's like, well, you know, you've got everything, but you're not content. What's wrong with you? And then, you know, and then the other end of the spectrum, and like, you've got to keep moving, you've got to keep moving. But I think they probably come down to the same place, as in that, um, you know, that inner voice going, well, it's not enough, though, is it? Look at them, they're doing better. You know, yeah, compare what's it called? Comparisonitis. I try uh, not to compare. That's a killer. It is a killer. Don't go there. You just don't look at your competitors, don't look at your neighbours, don't just keep your head focused and en route for where you want to be. Because as soon as you, I mean, I've, I hate social media, and actually, because I grew up where it was writing letters, airmail letters, you know, that's what I loved about traveling is you'd get a letter, but you didn't get sort of loads of WhatsApps checking in and telling yeah. the other. I do find that whole thing really stressful. And there'll be times where I just turn my phone off and I just eight o'clock at night or seven o'clock. I think, you know what? My parents have got my landline as have my brother and a couple of close friends. If anything happens to them, they can call me, but otherwise I don't want a whole load of banter. And it be, you know, and if you look at Instagram late at night, not a good idea. If you look at Facebook or whatever, because actually what annoys me about the social media is most of it is BS. And I'm someone, and I've always believed, or not believed this, but I've always been hot on this, is that my mates are true, authentic people. A spade is a spade. There is no fluff. There is no puff. They are genuine. And that's why they've been around me for so long. I can't stand this. Look at me and look at my child, all the beautiful stuff. It's putting, your, it's putting yourself in a way to, it's huge pressure, the people who do it, and some people do it very well. I try and post what I want to post for me. Now, if people don't engage with it, that's absolutely fine. Obviously, I want people to engage with it. But yeah, I think social media is a real pressure. And I think for the children and younger well, for any generation, but especially for the kids nowadays, my God, you know, horrendous. Funny though, um, like, this comes up a lot, like the, uh, the social media being, um, it, it can be damaging because obviously it, it basically is just loads of things telling you you're not as good as that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you say, if you can kind of see it for what it is, like I post artwork and like I promote podcasts, but that's, my main thing really is social media. Uh, but it often comes up about like the worry about the younger generations. Um, and I, 
I've obviously worked with many, many young people and I've noticed that um, it's just their normal. You know, like they're a lot of the time they're pretty. Oh, okay, so they, it doesn't really sort of get them because so much. Normal, we didn't grow up with it. They grow up with, you know, the internet and vast possibilities and social media. Like my daughter just just been allowed to have Facebook. She's not massively interested in it. Uh, is, is that generation into it, or is it sort of our gen or? Our I think the generation has just gone with the ones who probably get, got bitten by it. But I think as we move forwards. Kids just aren't, like, they're actually massively resilient. So much stronger, uh, they get over things quicker than we can. Uh, they Kids nowadays are pretty clued up generally. Like, they're not bothered about sexuality and transgender or anything like that. They're generally not that fucking bothered, is what I've found. Yeah, uh, no, they seem quite, they accept everything. Yeah, we're like, oh, they're going to, you know, we put all of our baggage onto them. And, like, and it's totally wrong because actually they're all right. You know, nine times out of ten they're doing better, much better, and these things don't bother them. But we're like, oh, it's interesting to see what their challenge will be because I'm a great believer that we're on this planet to learn and grow, and yeah. so that's why we get these things coming at us. And you know, we were very lucky that we hadn't. My parents lived in the war, and my dad lived in the Second World War, and he said this COVID thing is nothing on that. You know, they have bomb bombings and and stuff. Um, so we've been very lucky in the way that any war has been on someone else's soil rather than our soil. And now we have this COVID thing. And really, it's the first time that we have been challenged like this. And yeah. some, we're sort of behaving in a very spoiled fashion and in ways. And then others, I feel that we're like a little puppet that's just being played. Um, like I, get, uh, I get into this debate, well, I try not to get into it, where, you know, like the comparison to the war and things, and, and I just think everything's relative. We didn't go through a war, so we haven't got yep. to compare it to. Yep. Um, so it is what it, everything, and that, so that kind of makes me be more present because it, it is, you know, everything's a comparison. You know, you can't, older people are going to be like, well, this is nothing. And you're like, but I wasn't in the war. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's in. Um, well, we have been given a lot of tools to cope with this i mean we do yeah. have zoom we do have obviously the internet so i assume wouldn't work we do have a lot of toys to play with you know we've got our netflix we've got our prime yeah, we've got yeah i've got it all amazon delivering willy-nilly i mean i live in a block of three and the buzzer is constantly going yeah, yeah. on stuff just being dropped off so i think we are we're being spoon-fed but where it's pulling the plug on this and i think it is so important for mental health is that physical presence now if you're in a family unit you have you've got the physical presence but then you will have challenges of your own i miss i so miss i mean i could see my mates i can see them for a walk and stuff and i do have my bubble but i miss that thing where you just have a group round and you just hang out and chill and laugh and that side of things and and so and I, and that I think we need touch. It doesn't have to be a sexual touch. It's just touch. Closeness. Okay. Or yeah, whatever. It, it doesn't even need to be touch, does it? It's that closeness and warmth that. Um, I, and I totally agree. I think as human beings, we do need that. And uh, seeing people's whole faces, you know, it's when you see a mask, you've got to work really hard with your eyes to look as if you're smiling. So I sort of try and make a real effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're really pissed off. So, um, yeah. 
Listen, I can't miss out, right? We've been, uh, we've gone, we're, we're an hour. Uh, I'm really enjoying chatting, so I'd like to continue for a little bit if we may, but um, I don't, there's things I, I don't want to miss out on um, MasterChef. Yeah. Because everyone asks you about MasterChef. Yeah, so well, people I didn't know you were on MasterChef because I, yeah, I, I watched it on and on. I, 2006 and 2007, and basically the driver to go on to MasterChef was that I'd split up with this guy who actually was one of my guests on the show because he's a mate now, but, but he broke my heart. Anyway, basically I'd split up from him and I had moved, ironically enough, into a flat that could sort of see his place. And that wasn't good for the psyche. So I went a bit Bridget no. And um, I watched Thomasina Myers win MasterChef. And I said, oh, I could do that. It looks really easy. And so I downloaded the form and then I threw it away. Because I just hate filling in forms. And then I was pissed off with the work. I was a practice manager of the doctor's practice. And so uh, I downloaded the, film, uh, the form again, filled it in. And the one question I remember, Nick, was it said, what is your greatest achievement in life? And I put down, survive it. I mean, slightly glibly, but the point was, that was my greatest achievement. Yeah, yeah, I'm alive. So anyway, I got picked to, to go along and I made these little walnut rolls and mackerel ceviche or whatever it was. But the, the thing was, I'm not a chef, okay? So, you know, for you, you would know how to knock up this, that and the other. And I was just doing it really for a challenge. Anyway, it turned up, I thought, oh, shit. You know, people were really knowing what they were going to do. The other thing was that I thought you had to create recipes that weren't in any books. I thought you had to be totally unique. So I'd gone around doing these really wacky con combos. And, I mean, I was doing edamame bean puree that now is common, commonplace. But then nobody was doing it, okay? Anyway, basically i winged it and i run the restaurant rounds so that was good because there was structure and i love that team bars yes yeah, yeah it's a buzz, isn't it? now, get them now no not cooked enough da, da, da. but i really loved it but anyway i was well in my comfort zone and it's really pressurized and it wasn't as tough as it is now so basically the the the, the round came round where um they come around and see your dishes. And I just looked at mine and I thought, shit, it looks like cat sick. It did. And the other two guys had done, it was when stacking was really in, okay, and they yeah, done these little stacks. And I thought, oh, no. Anyway, they loved the tears. And so they asked me to, John Troy came backstage and he said, you know, I, what you've got in your head is unique. What you're doing is unique. Well, of course it bloody was, because I thought I had to be unique. Hold it out of your... That's amazing. Look, so you didn't... Cause oh, my no, no. So he said to me, you need to go and get trained, and you could really go places, okay? And I thought, wait. So this was a big turning point in my psyche, okay? I thought, yeah. wow, I'm good at trying this. I didn't want to be a chef, particularly because I had the weight issue, so I certainly didn't want to be around food. So to have a job like this, this was amazing. But anyway... I then went back to my job because I needed the salary, but I was then burnt out from the job and I went off sick and they rang me up and they said, hi, it's MasterChef. And I said, oh, you're joking, aren't you? Because I didn't believe them. They said, can you come back on the show? And I said, you really are joking. And they said, no, no, we really are not joking. So, oh, shit. So then I went part-time my job and I did all these courses, one of which was a chocolate course, but I still didn't know that I'd have a chocolate business. So I went back on and I won. You, it was at the time where you go on a higher level and I won the restaurant round, and sadly it didn't work in the studio. The oven packed up, the grill collapsed, my sauce I was uh, reducing 
was scrapped and so I didn't but um it was amazing because it helped me think you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get on and do my own thing so that was MasterChef and John and Greg were great and the team were great and uh so that it really opened my mind a really brave thing though to kind of put yourself out there most of the other oh my God, it was terrifying I promise you I wanted to cry the whole time and they'd call us in and my heart would be racing thinking I don't know how to cook. And, you know, the second time round, I practiced how to make pastry and stuff. But, you know, on the invention round, I honestly felt sick as a dog. I couldn't think of anything. And there was steak and this, that and the other. So what I did was I got um, some herbs and stuff and I stuffed it in between the fat and the steak. And then I did something. And they said, wow, this is like steak tartare, the alternative to steak tartare. I think they thought I was going to be amazing. And they, they soon found out that actually... But you were just winging it. It wasn't my thing, but I mean, my chocolate recipes and stuff like that, I, I love, I'm driven by flavour and taste. And um, so, yeah, that, that was the MasterChef thing. And sometimes, Nick, and you might have this in your life, you just think, God, did I really do that? What I'm trying to do is get the tapes from it. And um, I can't, I, I, I've got DVDs, but they don't sort of work anyway, boring for listeners, but, but yeah. Anyway, so that was me. And actually, there was a guy in Sainsbury's who used to always ignore me, understandably. And the next day when it had been out on air, because they film it quite a long time before it goes out on air, he put, I was getting some ham or something, and he suddenly swung his head in this bit where I was getting a ham. I saw you last night. You're a master chef. It's like, yes, I was. So people sort of recognised me. And I gave, I used to give blood. And someone there said, God, you're a master chef. I really recognise him. Yeah. So that, that was MasterChef, and that was really a trigger from a Bridget Jones moment. I'm glad I... There's, there's something in that uh, that I, I, like, I really... Um, I love it when people are brave and they're like, you know, I don't... Like, with podcasts, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I thought, fuck it, I'm going to give it a go. My mate can do it, I can do it. Yeah, and you're really good at it. And, then, and if you hadn't have done it, what would have happened, you know? That's what I really yeah. think. Anybody, you've just got to go and do it. It could backfire. Yeah, so don't what? Overthink it. it. You know, like um, you know, sometimes you just have to put yourself out there, and like just the act of putting yourself out into the world, um, people notice you and things happen. Like, I've had loads of good experiences, like just sitting here talking to you. It's like it's a great experience and it's an amazing thing, and it, none of it would have happened if I hadn't just put my foot out the door a bit and went, "I'm yeah. going to give it a go." Yeah, because. So many people, it's coming back to MasterChef. Um, like, like, I was, I, I was, you should be doing it. Come on, hey, why no. don't you do it for goodness sake? Interesting, or like, the great British bake off GBBO. Uh, oh, yeah, I do watch that. I'd rather just, I'd rather be on it just to meet Noel Fielding, really. I love Noel Fielding. Um, but a lot of people, like, cool. I, I was watching the final of Bake Off and thinking. Like, the winner, you can't just put it down to the fact that you've been on TV. So many people are then, they're on TV in something like that, and then yeah. that becomes their job. You know, like, a baker could Well, be... he's going to take off. What's his name? Peter. Is it Peter? Yeah, Peter. Well, he will now take off, although yeah, he's... Yeah. But that's his life made. Well... Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is that some people just don't respond well to success, do they? And it ends up yeah. killing them. I mean... And he's but, so young as well. He might not want to be doing that. 
but it's interesting because like people do that and then they then they are pretty made. Like I was talking to a guy not that long ago who was on Master Chef and um, he didn't win it, but he's got his own restaurant now and he's doing quite well. So it's kind of you know it's amazing how TV can be this amazing platform. Is that just anyway putting yourself out
So, um, yeah, so podcasting is my main thing. And then I want to do other strands off from the podcast is my, uh, my game plan. Um, so, yeah, I've got a really good friend of mine who's my investor, so he's supporting it, which is great. But I just uh, wanted to... Uh, yeah, that was the next question. <laughs> How do you manage to live on a podcast? I get, like, uh, I get £20 a month. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got an investor behind me. So, um, basically, it's podcasting is part of it is love, but it can open great doors. And yeah, I do... I want... What I want is not really about me, because if I make serious cash, it will go back into something. It will either go into a trust or it will go into... Um, donated back into charities. But um, primarily around education and supporting people like ex-offenders and stuff. But um, the... Uh, my goal is I just want to buy myself a place to live. That's my goal. And my investor would like his return. But with the podcast, I do, I want to build a brand. Part of me wants to build this brand and see it everywhere. And I, I want to create this community. I want people to chat. I want people to inspire each other, to reassure the guests I've just had on, Paula Quasi from Small Products. I've had two emails from people saying, I've already signed up. I'm going to buy the products. And, you know, it's, it's getting these people on board. And, and so... I don't know where it's going to go. I'm on a path. It's come to me. I'm on the path. Yeah. And uh, I just want to be able to make big things happen for other people mainly. And so it's got to make money to be able to do that. Uh, so, yeah, onwards, basically. Yeah, there's a change. I think when you um, get, uh, when you think about it being more than you, like the pod, this has become so much more than me and it's about, the listeners and other people um and then it uh oh what was my point i've lost it um uh it's easier to kind of uh, it uh, just pushes you along a lot um i lost my point i do that every well, so you were, i do this from time to time but you were i mean the thing that i'd like to throw out to you is what what is your i'm not supposed to be interviewing you but what is your um ambition with the podcast and you're well you're working alongside the podcast aren't you yeah i i i just i mean I, I i'd like to reach more people because i feel like the message that men should talk is a good thing and i think there's a lot massive what you're doing nick it's huge i think that uh, the idea that there's a lot we can learn from each other uh it's important as well so like that's basically what i'm interested in um on a more selfish side, I'd obviously... You shot the time massively. I feel like a two yeah, day. Yeah, but then there's other bit of me kind of... Obviously, I'd, I'd like to work less and I'd like to have more time to create shit, no, whatever it is. Like, I'm a creative, but I don't really do a very creative day job. So it's very frustrating. So, I, and, so that makes me feel a little bit inauthentic. I'd like to be more creative. I think you're going to, uh, my gut says that you're going to be doing more of this. You're really good. You're an amazing guy to talk to. I, I don't know you. We had a very quick chat beforehand. I feel like I could chat to you for hours. And, you, you know, it's a really good show. So I think that you will find that you will be on, on your path and propelled along at the pace that one is supposed to be propelled along. So it's that yeah. patience. I'm very happy with everything. You know, I love doing it. Um, and I love talking. Like, it's I just, it's, fun. it's the people you meet. That's what I love. Yeah, that's, and the that's conversations what it's that you have. It's amazing. Yeah. 
that's what I mean. Like, as, as I say, I don't know you. Um, we spoke via email and I said, don't yeah. tell me anything. Yeah. And then and then we kind of prop up in front of each other on the computer and we've just had yeah. a really good chat for like an hour and a half. Your poor listeners are going to be fed up with us. Um, but I just think that's an amazing thing. And for me, that's worth it. Like that's worth it in itself. I haven't done a lot today, so I've come out and got to know you. That's worth it to me. Totally worth it. Like really good. And I think that's a really important thing. And actually, Paula Quasi, the, the guest who's just been on the show, she talks about her well-being from connecting with people. And I think she's absolutely spot on. It is connections, it's building connections with people that gives you real strength. And when you need that pep up, you pull on those connections and it really works. Yeah, I, um, when I'm not doing so well, I sever connections, I let everyone down just to stitch myself up and then I don't talk to anyone. And then yeah, I- Yeah, and it's that, you know, but then you become so internal. Yeah, 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 and then you're internal, internal. just telling you. An insular. And that's where when you feel that you're going down that route, and I've now got myself out of the habit of, internalizing i just ring someone yeah even if it's mundane triple practical it doesn't really matter but it's the connections and it could be an email connection or a whatsapp connection and actually you don't have to know them very well you don't actually have to talk about yourself you could be talking about anything but it's that getting yourself back out from that internal headspace that is the the big thing and talking to someone you don't know and you, you get the impression that you get on is um that feels nice. You know, it's just like, it, like there, there's really little basic things you can do. Talk to someone. Uh, and the fact that if they're listening to you, then they're interested in you enough to listen. That's quite a nice thing. So I'll go, that feels nice. So I'll kind of grab hold of that. So that's the more present thinking. Totally, totally works. We're going to have to go because I've got to go and watch my son. My tenure, my son's got. It's been really lovely. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you, listeners, for listening. Because um, Nick is an amazing guy. I feel very honoured to have been asked on your podcast. So I've, thank I've you. really absolutely loved it. I've enjoyed it so much. Um, I'll send you more chocolate. Thank oh, you, thanks, Amelia. Thank you. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 